Hello. Hello. Good morning. Okay. Is everyone doing well? Yeah? Good? It's great to see you all. We are doing something a little bit different these next three weeks. Normally here at Liberty, we would be working through a book of the Bible. So we just finished, or a section of the Bible anyway, so we just finished about nine weeks, I think it was, when we were going through seven verses in Acts chapter two. And later on this year, we'll be getting back into the book of Exodus, which we were looking at as a church, um, I was gonna say earlier this year, but it wasn't, last year. So we're gonna get back into that. But uh, what we're gonna do over the next three weeks is we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about, I guess you could say, who we are as a church, you know, what, what we're about, um, just a few things that we feel are really important to us as a church that kind of define who we are and our mission, our purpose here in the city. And still very much from the Bible, it's not that we're just going to ignore it for a few weeks, uh, but we're just going to come at it from a slightly different, different angle. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of have a look at, um, I guess the best way to describe it would be sort of our kind of mission statement uh, as, a, as a church. I don't know if you've seen it when you, when you come in the entrance door, there's some small flyers uh, that just have some information about who we are as a church. And then if you read on the back of those, what it says, it says, it says this, it says, we're a community of Amsterdamers from multiple different nations, backgrounds, ages and stages of life. And as a community, our desire is to love God, and that love compels us to love others and to love our city. Amsterdam is a city of diversity and creativity, of passion and freedom. However, we believe that the love of Jesus can transform Amsterdam into something greater than it is. In a city set on finding liberty, we believe that true liberty comes in following Jesus, and this is life life to the full. When true love captures us, our desires change, our habits die, our priorities are reset, and our dreams are reimagined. We no longer want to live for ourselves. Something greater is before us. And then over the next three weeks, this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a short series, kind of roughly titled Greater Love. Uh, week one today, we're going to talk about Jesus the church and worship. Next week, Jesus, the church and the city. And the week after, Jesus, the church and you. And today, we're particularly gonna focus on this bit that I just read a minute ago. As a community, our desire is to love God. And just to help us to understand that, we're gonna look at this verse together and talk a little bit around this. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you... Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Let me pray before we move on. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we've come together today from all sorts of different situations and backgrounds. Each one of us with our own story, our own journey that we're on in life. But you've called us together to be a people, to be your people, to live with a purpose 
and a passion and a goal, a prize in sight, and that, Jesus, is you. We want everything about our lives and everything about this church to be focused on you, on who you are, on celebrating and enjoying not only who you are, but what you've done for us. This great salvation that we all get to enjoy now as believers in you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us this morning, for everyone here in the room, whether they've uh, been a believer of you for decades and decades, or whether they've come in here today full of questions and doubts and concerns, wouldn't even call themselves a Christian at all, they don't know anything about what I'm even praying about, I pray you'd speak to us, God, through your word. That's what we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I guess the first thing to answer when we're talking about, I guess, this verse, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? What Paul is writing here in his letter to the church in a city called Corinth, what he's saying to them when he says, you are the temple of God, we might read that as me personally, but he's actually talking to them as a people. He's talking to the, the church, and he's presenting this big vision of what the church is and what it's supposed to be about. But a question that we probably, probably should address first is, is why, why the church? Why bother with the church? Because for many of us, the church is, is nothing more than a failed institution. You know, you don't have to go many, many weeks and you read the, the news or on... Uh, your social media feed, and you'll read all sorts of stories about abuse and scandal and tyranny, uh, all sorts of horrible things that happen within the church. Maybe you've even experienced some of those things yourself. And you think, well, there's what, what's good about the church? All these stories are, are pretty horrible. And these days, people don't really even trust the church there was a survey a few years ago in 2015 that took place, which is a survey they do, I think it's every five years in the Netherlands, and they ask all sorts of questions about life and society, and they ask them questions about religion and the church, and they asked people who they trusted the most out of four kind of areas of life. They talked about science, the media, political parties, and the church, and they asked them to rank which they trusted the most. And they asked this question in 1966. And in 1966, uh, number one was science, and number two was, was the church. And then media and politicians were, understandably, the bottom of the list. Then they asked the question three years ago in 2015, and this time the church became bottom of the list. People trusted politicians even more than they trust churches and and pastors, which is uh, kind of surprising, but perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised. People don't really, they think it's just a failed institution. And people think that the church is kind of opposed to human flourishing. What I mean by that is people think if you want to get the most out of life, if you want to enjoy life, you know, find satisfaction, fulfillment, whatever you want to call it, then the church is historically is a thing that stopped us from having that. That for humanity to get the most out of life, the church is kind of a barrier that we've had to remove. You know, that was what the Enlightenment and the last 200 years of history have been about, getting rid of all those silly things that have gotten in the way. 
And now, now we've got rid of all those hierarchies and structures that have uh, 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 oppressed us. Now we can find what it is to really be alive. So there's a, a writer, I'm reading his book on, at the moment, uh, called Steven Pinker. Um, and he said, religions also commonly clash with humanism whenever they elevate some moral good above the well-being of humans. So that's his, his view. He's got a very negative picture of the church. He sees it as something that, that, uh, if it, that puts moral good above what we actually need. For, for us to really enjoy life, the church is just this thing that just gets in the way, that it's gonna not help us to really achieve what we want and do what we want. It's just a bad thing, a barrier, a horrible, a thing from the past that we don't need anymore, is what he and many others would think about the church. Or even if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, you'd call yourself a Christian, you might think that at best, the church is just a kind of a, it's like a supplement to my faith. You know how, how you might uh, take kind of those vitamin pills, right? Just to kind of help your diet because you're not getting enough vitamin D or whatever. So you take a few pills just to kind of pep you up a little bit, just to kind of you know, help you along, um, give you a little addition to your life. And often we think the church is a bit like that, that you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I love Jesus, I follow him, I read my Bible, I do all of those things, I pray, and the church is just this thing I do for an hour and a half on a Sunday, which just kind of peps me up, you know, just sort of keeps me going, just a nice little supplement, and you know, if I miss it, or if I don't go for a few months, it doesn't really matter, because sooner or later I can just go back again and start popping those pills, get my vitamin hit again, and that's often how we view the church, as just a bit of a bit of a, an addition, an appendage to our faith. Again, there was another survey a few years ago which said 50% half of Christians, 50% of Christians think that uh, in, they find that involvement in a local church isn't a significant part of their life. It's just, it's just not. Many of them just don't even bother to go at all or have any sort of commitment. And you could think, well, surely that's obvious. Surely Jesus is more important, right? So as long as Jesus is the number one thing in my life, then everything else is just, just an addition. We don't need to worry about too much about those things. Or it might be that you, you think, actually, the church is only important to pastors. <laughs> it's only just people like me. You know, They get up on the stage and give it large and try and whip everybody up into some motivation because you know, we just want your money or we just want to feel good about our church because we've got more people coming. We think the church is just something to keep... Only pastors, leaders really care about it. For most of us, it doesn't really make much difference to our life, but those guys on the stage will let them for 30 minutes each week, if you're lucky, you know, kind of get their feel-good factor. Maybe that's what you think about the church. But actually, we, we here at Liberty, and hopefully not just me, many of us will be passionate about the church for a few reasons. First of all, that the Bible, as we looked about that verse in 1 Corinthians, the Bible paints this really big picture of what the church is. Whereas we might be embarrassed about it or think that somehow it's this horrible thing, this thing that's abused us and tyrannized us or this thing that's just a, a regretful thing from history that sooner or later we can just forget about or thing we can just kind of, you know, get the, what we want out of it and you know, use it for what it's good at but ignore all the bad stuff. 
That's not how the Bible talks about the church at all. It paints this beautiful big picture of what the church is, what the people of God are supposed to be like. So we care about it because the Bible cares about it. And we care about the church because not only the Bible, but, but Jesus cares about the church an immense amount. We were talking last week about, about how the church grows and we're saying, ultimately, the very heart of that, it's Jesus. He's building his church. He's building his, his church. An organization uh, last year asked me to come and speak at an event that they were running. And the question they asked me to speak on is, what is God doing in the world today? And my answer was, he's building his church. That's what he's doing in his world today. That's how he's spreading his glory all over the, wor- the world, is through the people of God, is through communities just like us. And Jesus, uh, in, in Ephesians 5, it says this about Jesus and the church. He said, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So Jesus loves the church. He cares for it. He nourishes it. He feeds it, he builds it, he supports it. Not because it's something over here that he really likes, but because it's his, it's his body. Incredibly intimate language about what the church is, what the people of God are. We're united as one with Christ. There was just a, a kind of almost a, a mystery, well it is a mystery that we can't understand, but it's true. That's what the church is. So when we, we speak ill of the church and we don't like it and we're embarrassed about it, we're kind of saying that we're embarrassed about Jesus, about who he is, about his very body, us. We should take the church incredibly seriously because it's Christ's own body and he loves his church. And the third reason that we should care about the church is because we're creatures of desire. We're people who've been, we've been the way we've been made, the, the, our DNA, the way we've been constructed is we have longings and passions. We, we, we love things, we worship things, because it's how we're made. It's how we're made. And you might think, well, what's that got to do with the church, right? It doesn't really seem to, the first two kind of make sense. You know, the Bible likes the church, Jesus likes the church, but this third one might seem a little bit weird to you. Why does that have anything to do with it? It's a bit like saying, you know, I like milk because I have feet. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really make any sense, right? What's this got to do with things? But let's just look into this a little bit because I believe it does make per- perfect sense. We're, we're creatures of desire, all of us, all of us, everybody in this city, that's how we're made. We're all made to, to worship, to love something, to love something. It's in your, it's in your design. Uh, I had a, a beer with a friend of mine in the church this week, and we went to a brewery in the city, and we got talking to the, the, the chief brewer there, and we were talking about all sorts of things, and we started talking about Jesus and the church, and he used to be part of the church, I think, many years ago, and we were talking about how people in our city, they, uh, 
they're, they're all still looking for some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, but they find it in all sorts of ways now, other than the church. They don't, they don't look there anymore. People look inside themselves, or they join all sorts of different communities and organizations, or they get involved in all sorts of new age practices, but at the heart of it, everybody's seeking the same thing. Everybody's trying to worship something. We were, we were talking last week a little bit about our story as a church, and I mentioned that one of the, the venue we were in as a church before we met here on Sundays was a place called the Mirror Center, which is on the east of the city. One of the unique things about the Mirror Center is that that when you go in the front door, there's a, there's a Buddha there, you know, a statue of Buddha waiting to greet you. And they have a few scattered around the building, and they've got one on wheels that kind of moves around. Uh, and every, every now and again, we would turn up in the room that we booked to use on a Sunday, and this Buddha would just be there in the middle of the room on wheels. So the first thing we had to do before we started church was remove the false idol, right? just wheel him out and put him in a cupboard. So we could worship, because we could worship God. Uh, and they weren't, the people who ran it, I met them a few times, lovely people, got to know them a little bit, and they weren't Buddhists. They were, as far as I could tell, they weren't Buddhists. Um, and they had like a, they had like a, I can't remember what they called it, like a, a relaxation room full of cushions and incense and candles, like a meditation room where you could go. Uh, because the, at the very heart of it is that they, they were, they were seeking something, some sort of inner peace, some sort of calm. Their hearts were inclined to God, but were firing off in all different directions, and that's what we, we all do. There was a writer um, who, he wasn't a Christian, this guy, David Foster Wallace, he said in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism, there is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Whatever it is that's the thing in your life that you're the most passionate about. You might find something that you're so passionate about it that you'll sacrifice other things because you want to do this thing. That this thing is the most important thing in your life. It could be all sorts of different things. It could be money. Could be family, could be your kids, could be sport, football, could be some sort of art or creativity that you love to express, could be your job, your career, your studies, your identity, all sorts of different things. But we have things that are competing all the time for our attention because they're calling us to worship these things, they're calling us to steer our gaze somewhere else. Another guy, Harold Best, he said this at this very moment, And for as long as this world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. He's saying the same thing. Everybody's worshiping, everybody's bowing down and serving something or someone. That's true, we can't, you can, argue against it, but if you really get down to the nitty-gritty and study your life, you'll find that actually we like to think that we're kind of reasonable people, that we, we, kind of, we think therefore we are. So we, I decide to do these things, therefore I'll do these things. But if you look back at the story of your life, you'll realize that you decide I'm going to do this 
but then you go off over there. You shoot off on this tangent, you have this idea, this plan, and your life ends up being a bit more like that or kind of like this. Because we're not driven by what we think, but by what we want. There's these desires within us, these loves, these passions, that we can't control almost, that fire us off all over this place. Because there's something within us that all the time wants to worship. It does, it wants to worship. And there'll be always something that's capturing your gaze and drawing you to worship that thing. But ultimately, we have to realize that these are, they're false gods, many of these things, and they'll, they're not necessarily bad. You know, money isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sex isn't a bad thing. But if it becomes the thing, then it becomes a bad thing. If it becomes the most important thing, then it will, it will govern you. It will rule you, and it will ruin you for everything else. It will let you down. It says this in Jeremiah. He's, uh, the writer is, is talking about what happened with the people of God. Uh, he says, they went far from me, they went far from God, and they went after worthlessness, and they became worthless. <laughs> they went after worthlessness, and they became worthless. I've been watching the uh, TV show on Netflix, Breaking Bad. Have any of you seen that? It's where a science teacher finds out he has cancer and he can't pay for his treatment. So basically he starts cooking meth, he starts making drugs to sell because he realizes it's quite a lucrative way to pay for his treatment. But the, it's a fascinating, fascinating picture as you watch it over the series of what happens when you commit your life to a false idol because he's, he's kind of a nice guy, he's a bit ditzy, a bit clumsy, but that's how this series starts. He's just a nice guy who, who loves his wife and his kids, and, and uh, he doesn't want to burden them with this cost of his treatment, so he does this thing just to make it work. But as the TV show go, goes on and on, you see his life progressively spiral out of control, and he just becomes this horrible person horrible, really mean, nasty man. He does some horrible things. And even there's a point in, uh, this is a spoiler, so I'm sorry about that, but there's a, there's a point near the end, I think in about series four, where uh, as, as, a, as a cover-up for his, his, this habit uh, he's got into, not that he's taking the drugs, but he's, he's making it and this how this thing has captivated him as a cover-up for all this money that's coming in. Him and his wife buy this car washing business so that when the tax people come, they can say, oh, well, we made all this money because we washed all these cars, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, but that's kind of what they do. And he gets to the point, his wife is running this business so successfully, and she says to him, look, you don't need to do this thing anymore because, because we can legitimately make life work through our car washing business now. And yet he turns it down. He doesn't really know why, but he turns it down and, and he still follows down this horrible path. And it's because this, this thing that's worthless has taken over his life and it's, it's made him worthless. It's destroyed him, it's obliterated his life. And that's what can, can happen to us so often. But for us to understand this, what I want us to do is, is to 
to understand this longing, this desire within us, the best thing to do is to go back to the very start of the Bible. And right at the start of the Bible in Genesis, you find uh, Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. If you don't know this story, you should read it. Just find a Bible and go right to the start and read about Genesis, read the story of, of Adam and Eve. Um, and the idea of, of, gar- of, of the Garden of Eden, it's this place that God created where God dwelt. It says in Genesis 3 that God walked there in the garden. God dwelled there. He was with his, his people. He was with Adam and Eve, and they were with him. And you get this picture of perfect human happiness and longing met, satisfaction Fulfillment of life, perfect joy for Adam and Eve together with God. And Eden is basically like, it's this temple where, where God is, where his presence is, and where his people come to meet him. And in a way, all of our hearts are, are looking back to that, where we find perfect fulfillment and satisfaction of walking with God being with him. That's what this desire within us, this worship thing that leads us off on all sorts of different avenues, ultimately it's looking back to that, it's looking to God. The writer of Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, he said, he said this, he said, we all long for Eden and we're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature's at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with a sense of exile. We're all looking back. (laughs) Or to put it another way, we're all ultimately trying to find God, trying to get that peace and fulfillment and joy of walking with him, of being with him. That's what your heart is trying to do all of the time. And God's presence in Eden is associated with all these images of life and purpose. You find Adam and Eve just doing what they're meant to do and enjoying it in a wonderful sense because it's where God is. It's where our most basic human desires are met. The writer Augustine said this uh, probably about 1,500 years ago. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. (laughs) So true. Your heart will always be restless until you find your rest in him. Ultimately, your heart will always be without joy until you find your joy with him. And that will be the story of your life. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And as the story goes on through the Bible, following on from Genesis, Adam and Eve sin and are thrown out of the garden. That's why we're always looking back with this sense of longing in our hearts. But as we go through, we see, you know, even in the story of Exodus, which we'll come back to in a few weeks, the story finishes with them constructing a temple where they can go and worship God. Where all the time, as as they're in the wilderness, the people of God, after they've left Egypt, they build a tent, a dwelling place of God, the tabernacle where God is. And this theme of the temple, the place where God's presence is, flows throughout the Bible. And then you get to 
to the New Testament and it suddenly changes. It says in, in John 1, and the word, it's talking about Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Sorry, this idea of God no longer dwelling in his temple, but now dwells among us. Jesus said to the, the Pharisees in, in John 2, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they said, what are you, what are you talking about? This temple, the temple in Jerusalem would have been this huge, massive construction where much of the walls were, were made with, with gold. So when the sun shone on it, it just this beautiful array of light shone out. It was this amazing building. And he said, destroy that and I'll rebuild it in three days. And I said, well, it's taken us hundreds of years to build this temple. You can't rebuild it in three days. What are you talking about? Jesus, you're a lunatic. But he was talking about himself. He was talking about himself. Because he was saying, the temple, this place you've been building and looking for where God is, he says, that's in me, that's in Jesus. And now we don't need to, we don't need to go on a pilgrimage anymore we don't need to go to Jerusalem to somehow meet God, but we meet God in Jesus Christ. And he's now said, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 3, that now the people of God is where he dwells through his spirit. That's what the church is, the place where God has chosen to dwell among us through our union with Christ. He's with us. Len was talking about it earlier, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not that we just believe a story about someone 2,000 years ago that's inspirational, or a God who's distant in the sky who we can somehow communicate with, you know, fire off a few kind of prayer emails to something distant up there. No, God's with us, with his people, the church. So that means that here at Liberty Church, we're not just a we're not just a loose collection of individuals who come together to sing a few songs and do a Bible study and then go home. And we're not even just friends. Maybe some of you aren't friends at all, but we're not, it's not just that we like each other, but there's this wonderful union now that we're all believers in Jesus, so we're all, we're all part of his body. We're toes and hands and ears and eyes, we're all together and we all, we all need each other. Another metaphor the Bible uses is that we're God's family. Actually, it's much bigger than a metaphor, it's, it's kind of reality. We're brothers and sisters, mums and dads. We're brought together in this wonderful, intimate relationship with God, but with one another because we're his body, his people. Preacher, who's a friend of mine, Terry Virgo, he said this. He said, the church is the people of God. It's not just some pathetic little thing left over from a previous generation. It is his ultimate goal, his glorious bride, the crowning glory of the whole creation. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The Bible has this big view of what the church is. And Jesus loves it and cares about it passionately. So so do we, so do we. And that means what, what is the church made for? What are we to do? Well, first of all, and most importantly, we're a community of worshipers. That goes before anything else. 
before any mission or plans or purpose or outreach or care or whatever. We're designed to worship. Each one of us individually are made, as we've been talking about, with longings and desires, we're made to worship, but together we're this, this holy temple now where we come together to worship God. That's always our number one objective in everything is always to worship. If anything we're doing strays off from that, then we should stop it straight away. We should just get rid of it, cut it off. Because as a people, we're made to worship. That's our goal. That's why when we gather together, we, there's lots of different ways that we worship. But one of the ways we do it is when we come together on a Sunday, we sing. You might think, yeah, I go to church and you get this weird group of people that they all stand and sing together. Like There's not many other places you could go and people would just stand and sing, wave their arms in the air and things. But we do it not just because we're kind of excited or excitable. We do it because we're worshippers and we love Jesus and we're, we're expressing something of our true identity. You know, you know if, you, if you want to get someone to listen to you, as if you're a parent, you do this with your kids. If you want to make sure you've got their attention, you, 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 you say to them, look at me. No, don't look over there. Look at me. You make eye contact. And then you know that hopefully you've got at least some connection with them. That's kind of what we do when we come together on a Sunday, is we're kind of making eye contact with our souls. <laughs> where we strayed off, where we've been looking at all other different things, we're saying to our very inmost being, look at Jesus. Look at him, proclaim him, celebrate him in your heart, enjoy him. It's this beautiful, wonderful thing. It's not just that we're singing songs about something that's true, but we come together to meet with God the living God, the one who dwells amongst us. We come to enjoy him. Because this, the thing is, what, what's important to understand, particularly if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or to be honest, for all of us to understand, is that this, this desire to love God, which we said right at the start, this is part of our kind of mission statement, as a community, our desire is to love God, first and foremost. We, we really want to make that clear to you because, as we've been saying, if you desire anything else, which we all do from time to time, in fact, all the time, there can be this wrestle within us, but if you give yourself to something else, it will, it will harm you. It will. It, just, it will hurt you. Tolkien, who we quoted from earlier in the the Lord of the Rings, one of the things that's noticeable is that if you've read the book or you've seen the movies, you'll know what I'm talking about, but there's the, the ring that Gollum is probably perhaps the main picture of this. Spends the whole of the, I've not actually read the book, so I can't tell you much about it, but the movies I've seen. He spends his time searching after this ring, chasing after it. And the same way as Walter White in Breaking Bad is it, it destroys him, it, it ruins him. And see the it's not, that the, it's not only that this ring is, is like addictive, but it's, it's disempowering. It robs him of, of life and joy, personal freedom, robs him of those things. It's destructive. And in the end, what you, what you worship, what you choose to love, will, will dominate you. It will overwhelm you. It will have you in, in bondage and it will tell you to do what it says. And we all might, might to think, 
No, no, we live in this liberal, free society. We all just get to do what we want now. That's nice, a nice picture, a nice illusion. But we all know, really, that we don't really get to do what we want. That all the time we're, we're tied to these things that drive us, these desires that consume us. That all the time we're under this oppression. And you, maybe you don't notice it now, but you, you'll notice it as life goes on. That you'll find there are things that you just can't break free from. Things that just have a hold on you. Patterns of behavior that you just can't seem to break out of, snap out of. It's because we're, we're, we're overwhelmed by these things. And the only way we can find freedom is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> That's it. That's the only answer. Because we can try and just stop doing all those things and just stop it, I'll just stop it, I'll just stop it. We can make up this whole legalistic rule structure of I won't do this thing and I won't do that thing. I'll only do that thing on a Tuesday. But ultimately, the only thing is because, we, because we're made to worship, the only answer is to worship the right thing, not the wrong thing. That's where we find our freedom. Because you know, one of the things that's really important for us as a church is, as I was saying, when I was having a beer this week and talking to this, this brewer, and we were talking to him, and he's talking about his own church experience, and he said, for many, for many people in this country, what they know of the church is a, the words he used was it was a tight, suffocating community where, where you, you come into it and it, you feel oppressed straight away because you're told what to do. You're told not, what not to do. You're told how to live. And you feel, you feel stuck and oppressed and suffocated. And that's not what the church should be. The, because if, if people come in here and we just telling you all the things you can't do, then you probably will feel like that. But hopefully what we try to do in this church is, is not tell you all the things that you can't do. And sometimes the Bible has lots of warnings which we should take seriously and lots of imperative things to do. But ultimately, what we want to capture your gaze with is, is, is Jesus. is to overwhelm you with that desire, that passion, so it doesn't become a tight, suffocating thing, but a beautiful, freeing, releasing thing. Where all the time amongst this community, we're encouraging one another and reminding one another of the gospel, reminding one another of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Helping to repoint each other's lives to find our satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in him and in him alone. And we... We want to be a community that desires purity, but how you get purity ultimately is through worship, is desiring him, receiving his forgiveness and his grace, and desiring him and him alone. And the Bible finishes in Revelation. It says this in Revelation chapter one, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins, and by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen.
That's what we've been called into now. There's a, a kingdom of priests. We get to come and worship God in his temple, have access to the holy of holies, to God's very presence, to walk with God as he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what the church is, the, the people of God together, enjoying God, worshipping him. And what does that mean for you? Well, I guess I would just say that we're, we're called to be a community of worshippers. We're called to this greater love. And I encourage you just to throw yourself into this community. And you might have questions or doubts or well, you've been hurt in the past by the church. And I need to say right now, we're not perfect. It's not that all the other churches are bad and we're the good one. We'll make mistakes because this church is full of people who are just like you, not perfect. We need to learn how to love one another and care for one another and we'll upset one another. But God's using all those things to work a good in you, to do a good work in you. But I'd encourage you to throw yourself into community because you're throwing yourself into the very life of Jesus, the very thing you're called to do. Let me finish. Joe and Len and Ludo are gonna come and lead us in some songs of worship. Let me just read this, a couple of verses from the start of Psalm 42. It says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Let's just stand to our feet and let me pray. Jesus, we, we recognize that ultimately our, our very soul, our very being, the deepest, innermost parts of our heart it's thirsting for you. Because that's how you've made us, to thirst after you. You said in John that you're this living water that comes to meet our thirst, to refresh us, to give us life. And where we've been trying to meet that thirst with all sorts of different drinks, all sorts of different things to fill us up, and we've ended up empty each time, Right now, Jesus, we just want to come again and, and thirst after you and have our, our desires met, our longings fulfilled to find ourselves fully satisfied in you, Jesus, and in nothing else. And we want to be a church that says that right at the very heart, that we're passionate about you, Jesus. We're passionate about your church because you've made us to worship made us to walk with you, to know you. We just want to say, Jesus, that we know that we're all sinners who've made horrible mistakes that we regret so much. But we thank you that your blood has covered all of those things. We just want to repent and turn our back on those things and we want to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And say, well, we've been chasing after false idols. Well, we've been disempowered, robbed and overwhelmed by all sorts of things that have led us astray 
we say right now we want to fix our eyes on you we want to say you are the only thing in our life that really matters the only thing the only place we find fulfillment and joy we say Jesus as individuals together as a people we love you we love you thank you God thank you God